This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning, Bridgeway. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing well? Good, good. Hey, uh, last week, Pastor Mike, who you just heard from, kick-started a short series that we've, uh, we've started together called The Biggest Turnoff to Christianity and the Church. And he started this by preaching a message uh, on, on the topic of suffering. And he even addressed the question, why would a loving God allow bad things to happen in this world? And so if you have not heard that, you got to go back and check it out. Uh, because I believe that's the type of question that we all wrestle with as Christians. Uh, and not only that, but I think, man, I think it's, it's just a good topic that we shouldn't shy away from. As a matter of fact... I think it's a good reminder that we should not shy away from the hard questions when it comes to our faith in Jesus. And so this morning, uh, I get to carry on in this series. And when I look at this title of the biggest turnoffs to Christianity and the church, I can't help but go back to when I was a kid. Because when I was a kid, I didn't love going to church. As a matter of fact, when I was a kid, I, I was, that was a time of my life where I was forced to go to church with my family. And now I'm grateful that I was. But back then, every Sunday morning was a struggle for me. And so I can think back to that time, and I know for myself that one of the biggest turnoffs to church was the children's Christmas concert. You see, I, there was multiple reasons that as a kid I, I, found, I found there to be turnoffs that I had with the church. But this was like the biggest one. And a couple of reasons for that was this. One, I hated dressing up. I hated dressing up. And so that was like a, a Sunday where I absolutely was made to dress up. And I just whined the whole morning. I, man, my mom is a saint, right? She put up with me for going through that. Uh, but on top of that, not only did I hate dressing up. Uh, but I also hated singing in front of people. I absolutely loathed singing in front of other people. And so I would have rather have received a lump of coal in my stocking than to have, stand, have to stand up there and pretend like I had the Christmas spirit of your most avid caroler. As a matter of fact, I was so against this idea of singing in front of other people that I wouldn't actually sing when I was up there. I just would turn into this like nutcracker doll that just opened and closed my mouth when the words came, but I didn't actually sing a thing. I was just sitting up there like this, hoping that nobody noticed and hoping that my parents would still love me as they watched me do that, right? And so that's why, honestly, that's why the other kids called me the Millie Vanilli of Christmas. Okay, nobody actually called me that, but they should have. They should have. Uh, and if you don't know what reference that is, then you're what we would call a whippersnapper, okay? <laughs> but there's, there's all sorts of reasons, aren't there, that, that people find that they've got turnoffs against the church or turnoffs because of the church. I, I can think of 
I can think of more stories even from my, from my dad that he's told me throughout my life. I remember one story he told me where he was a young adult and he went to try out this brand new church, at least to him. Uh, and it was a smaller church. It was local. And he's like, I want to give this church a shot. And so he shows up one morning to give this church, this, this church a chance. And as he arrives, he's warmly greeted. He talks to this greeter for a long time, has asked a lot of questions, feels pretty good. Guy was pretty nice and pleasant. And then the service is about to start, so my dad walks into the sanctuary, sits down near the back, uh, and takes a seat, and everything gets rolling. And then it comes to that time in the service where somebody walks up and gives the announcements, and lo and behold, it was the guy that my dad just talked to as a greeter. And so the guy goes through a couple of announcements, and then he gets to his last one, and he says, he says as a matter of fact, church, I think you should all know that this morning, uh, we've got a visitor with us. As a matter of fact, I think he's sitting like right there. Could you do me a favor and stand up so everybody could see you? And my dad, as a first-time guest, like sheepishly stands up, and he feels the whole church just, and all their pews just go, boom, and all the eyes are on him as a first-time visitor, and he just hated that moment, and he just gave a wave and a nod, and then waited till that service was over so he could quickly stand up and bolt out as quickly as he could. And if it wasn't, it wasn't that story, I remember him telling me about going to church with his grandfather. And, and my grandfa his grandfather and my family has left quite a legacy, uh, quite an interesting legacy. He was, a, he was the type of guy that would go to church, and as the offering plate was being passed uh, down the rows, he would put in a 20 and take out a 10 and a 5 as change for himself. Uh, and so this is the type of guy that my dad was dealing with, and he goes to church on a Sunday morning with him. And as they're walking into church, his grandfather turns to him and says, listen, Todd, I tell you what, this pastor's always talking about money. I swear if he talks about money again this morning, I'm going to lose it. And so he gives him this, goes on this rant, and they walk into church. And what do you know? The pastor talks about tithing that morning. And in the middle of this, in the middle of the pastor's sermon, my grandfather, or his, my dad's grandfather stands up from his pew and says, that's it, what do you know, talking about money again, let's go Todd, we're getting out of here, loud and proud for the entire church to hear. And my dad again sheepishly stands up and walks out of church with his grandfather Man, I mean, whether they're, whether they're valid or not, I think there's lots of reasons that people find to have turnoffs with the church or with Christianity. Whether it's talking, the pastor talking about something like money or, or whether it's, man, whether it's a, first, a bad first-time guest experience or whether it's the children's Christmas concert. I think there's a whole lot of reasons that people come up with to have turnoffs against the church, and if we're being honest, we, the church, haven't always gotten it right, have we? And it can come as no surprise, I think sometimes, that people are turned off by faith. And while there's a ton of different reasons that people can feel this way, I wanna focus in on one reason this morning that seems to be at the top of the list for why non-believers experience doubt in regards to faith. In Jesus. See, Pastor Mike and I did some research and we found, we found this Barna study uh, online. And this study was from, from last year where, and it, where it was a poll where the results showed that right at the top of the list was this thing called 
hypocrisy as the top reason non-believers doubted Christian beliefs. Meaning that when some people look at Christians and the church, they see hypocrites. In our defense, though, like as, as human, we're all human, right? So in our defense, I think, I think it just means that because we're human, we're going to make mistakes and that none of us are perfect. And yet, as Christians, I believe we acknowledge this is true, this is the case, and it's why we know that we need Jesus. And in that regard, our weaknesses in that area, our weaknesses illuminate a need for Jesus. And yet, that's not permission to lean into our weaknesses. And so I want to take a look at a passage of scripture this morning that gives guidance when it comes to the thought of Christians, us Christians, being hypocrites. And so for this, we're going to open up to the book of James. And so if you've got your Bibles in front of you, make sure you you find James in there. And uh, the author of, of this book is James in English. And his name is Jacobos in Greek, and he's the half-brother of Jesus. So you can find the book of James in the New Testament. It's sandwiched right in between the book of Hebrews and 1 Peter. So if you're looking for it now, that's where it's at. And I'll give you a little bit of context as as you turn to it. So James was the leader of the mother church in Jerusalem. And he was revered for his leadership in the Jerusalem church. And in his book, he writes a letter to any and every Christian community to challenge how they're living through the wisdom of Jesus and the wisdom of the book of Proverbs. And so we're opening up this morning to James chapter 2, verses 14 to 18. And James 2, 14 to 18 says this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds. Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. See, when reading this this passage, I believe that we can see that James is speaking into an angle of hypocrisy. That simply speaking about our faith and not acting on it calls into question the validity of our faith in the first place. I mean, this is heavy stuff. And yet, naturally, a lot of us would have this type of reaction. We'd go, well, hey, Scripture says that that we're saved through our belief, not through our works. And that's 100% correct. But what James is telling us here is that to be saved by the grace of Jesus is to be transformed. And from this transformation that takes place in us, our actions should then follow. James isn't saying that we have no faith if our actions don't follow. James is saying that our faith is dead, that our faith has no life if our actions don't follow. 
I mean, we see it in this scripture. There's, there's these two different times that James asks this question, what good is it? Right at the beginning, he says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds? And then again, he says, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And so this morning, I think we have to ask ourselves the question in self-reflection, what good is my faith? What good is my faith? Meaning one of the ways that we can gauge our faith as Christians is by looking at the tangible evidence our life presents to the world around us. In what ways do we exhibit Jesus with our lives? See, I, I believe we can only show so much evidence with our words. But at a certain point, the, the rubber has to meet the road, and our actions also act as our witness. As I was preparing for this message, I, I couldn't help but think back to a time that I was a youth pastor at a, at a previous church, and we had uh, decided as a team that we... Uh, we wanted to buy these things for our students that were called bubble balls. You ever heard of these before? Or Zorby balls? They're these big plastic balls that you like get into and there's a harness on the inside of them, but your feet are still free even though you're kind of trapped up here. And so you get to run around in these things and like bump into other people that are wearing them. And so we had decided to buy a set of these for our students. Uh, so that we could play things like bubble soccer, which you see here in this picture. Regular game of soccer, everyone's wearing these giant plastic bubbles, right? And so I'll never forget when, when we're having our first event with these things, and our high schoolers show up for this. It was a big deal. They were super excited for it. And this one student walks in, and he, and he comes right up to me to sign in, and he says, listen, uh, I don't think I'm going to play. I don't, I don't think you want me to play today. What do you mean? This is, this is gonna be fun, man. You definitely should play. You're here, why wouldn't you play? And he goes, listen, I don't think you want me to play because uh, I think I'm gonna wreck some people. I'm not, I, I don't know if you've recognized, but I'm like the biggest, strongest kid in this youth group. So uh, you put me in that bubble, I think I'm gonna hurt some people. I'm like, listen, all right, that's why there's bubbles. You should play. I appreciate your concern. But you should definitely play. And he finally is like, I don't know. I'm, I, I think I'm just going to destroy people. I don't know if I should do it. And then, so I said the words to him. I'm like, well, why don't you get out there and prove it? And that's all it took. He's like, I'm in. <laughs> and so this, this game starts. And how you start it is you have both teams stand at opposite sides of the field from each other, across from each other. And the soccer ball starts right in the middle of the field. When you blow the whistle, both teams converge on the soccer ball in the middle, and you get this beautiful explosion and collision of people bouncing off of each other in the middle. So both teams are set. I blow the whistle, and I'm, I'm watching this student because I want to see what happens. I'm like, okay, is he going to... Is he going to prove that he's as strong as he claims he is? And I watch him as he runs in with full force. And as he gets to the middle, he gets smacked so hard by another player that he goes from vertical to horizontal, the quickest I've ever seen in my life. It was one of those hits where it just was smack and the entire crowd of people watching went, oh, <laughs> And the other team quickly scored, and I had to reset both teams back to their sides. And I'm like, 
Ah, so much for being the biggest, strongest, right? And yeah, I see him raise his hand and call me over. I'm like, uh-oh, maybe he's her, actually. <laughs> so I walk over, and I go up to him, and I say, hey, uh, what's, what's going on, man? You okay? And he, he goes, yeah, uh, I think I'm okay, but I just thought I needed to tell somebody that um, I got hit so hard back there um, that I think I soiled myself. And true enough, that's exactly what had happened. Now, luckily for him, he had clothes on that nobody could tell, nobody could see. It was just his and my little secret, but his mom had to show up with a change of clothes for him. No joke. And I look back and I think back to that story and I go, isn't that us? Like, don't we do that sometimes where we say we're this we say we're the biggest, we're the best, we're the strongest, we're going to wreck people, we're going to do this, and yet we show that we're the exact opposite sometimes. And we unintentionally look as though we're being hypocrites. What I want to say this morning, church, is this, is that who I say I am matters, it absolutely does, but who I show I am matters just as much. And Jesus explains this to us. He explains this to us further in, in the book of Luke. And so this is the third gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're diving right into Luke chapter 6, verses 43 to 45. And this is what Jesus says in it. He says this, No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings up good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. See, I believe Jesus gives us a tree as a perfect model of self-examination which leads us to what I believe is the most important question of this conversation, and it's this. Does my life, does your life produce fruit? Do our lives produce fruit? Well, what, is that, what does that look like exactly? I love this. See, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Galatia, and he gives nine examples of personal attributes that are evidence of our character becoming more like that of Jesus, and they're called the fruit of the Spirit. These, attribute, these attributes are not things that are produced by us, but they're produced by the Holy Spirit living in us. We don't just manifest these things ourselves, but they are a direct result of living in communion with God, meaning that the, this fruit, the spiritual fruit, meaning this fruit is organically cultivated through a vibrant relationship with Jesus. And here they are, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are the fruit of the Spirit. Now, to go back, I, while we leave this up here, I, I, I'll admit this. While I'm not sure that all of the hypocrisy that non-believers say they see in Christians are 100% valid, I will say this. I can't deny the fact that some people have had, have had experiences 
with Christians who have not exemplified the fruit of the Spirit. And how do I know that? Because I know me. I know myself. And there have absolutely been moments in my life when the fruit of the Spirit were not all present. And it's because I wasn't present. I wasn't showing up. I wasn't engaging in my relationship with Jesus the way that I'm called to. I was being a hypocrite. And the stark reality of this is this. As Christians, if our lives are not producing the fruit of the Spirit, then something is amiss in our relationship with Jesus. Something is off with the posture of our heart. And so let's go back. Let's go back again to what Jesus says in Luke. It's the last verse. And again, he says this, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so yet again, I want to give another self-reflecting question to keep leading us, help lead us through this conversation. And so the question is this, what is the state of my heart? What is the state of your heart? What is the posture of my heart? Is it, is it softened through a relationship with Jesus or has it been hardened by the world around me? What is, what is your heart full of at this moment? Is it full of things like love, kindness, peace, patience, the, the fruit of the spirit? Or, or is, it, is your heart full of things like discouragement, jealousy, bitterness, anger? Have we allowed the harshness of the world around us to impact the tenderness of our hearts? And then from there, the words are impacted. Our words are impacted, followed by our actions. If you find yourself with a heart that's been, that's been hardened, if you find yourself with words that are empty, with a fruitless life, with a faith that without a pulse this morning, now, I'm going to give you the, the simplest and yet most profound encouragement I could possibly give you this morning, and it's this. Spend more time with Jesus. I, I think so often, I think so often we go through life as Christians thinking that these little, like, drive-by experiences with Jesus are gonna be enough, and yet and then we're disappointed when what pours out of us just isn't that much, when we feel like Jesus really isn't there. We feel like there's not that much of Jesus in our lives. And yet when we sit here and we spend way more time with Jesus and we soak in who he is, in who he is then we see that, that, man, Jesus is so much more active. We see that there's so much more of Jesus in our lives that pours out of us. And because we've allowed him to pour into us, we then can pour much more out into the world around us. You see, the more time we spend with Jesus, the more we take on his likeness. We start to take on his way and leave our ways behind. And then our faith becomes more than lip service, it becomes life service. 
We end up laying our life down, our pride down, our selfishness down, our sin down. And we pick up our cross and we follow Jesus more closely. And the world around us is deeply impact, impacted by that because they don't see hypocrisy, but they, say, they see the way, the truth, and the life that is and can only be Jesus in us. And so while it sounds like I'm giving you the churchiest answer you could possibly hear this morning, I want to tell you this. It's the truth. We've got to simply spend more time with Jesus. Meaning this, that if your faith feels stale, it's not Jesus that's stale, it's us. And we've got to be perturbed enough about it to do something about it. And it starts with getting closer to Jesus. Our hearts, lives, and souls depend on it. And the hearts, lives, and souls of the world around us might just depend on it too. And so the last question that I want to ask ourselves this morning, that we got to ask ourselves this morning is this. What if this is us, and we recognize that we've, we've lived a life that, that hasn't soaked in Jesus, and we feel that we've got a staleness about our faith, the question is this, what are we going to do about it? Because our faith compels us to take action. So what are we going to do about it? And here's the best part about it that I believe we all should already know. It's that we all have it, with, we all have it in us to have a vibrant relationship with Jesus followed by intentional action. How do we know that? Because Jesus' death and resurrection tells us that we are worth it to God. And that right there, my friends, is not hypocrisy, but it's the truth. That God sent his only son because he saw that we were worth it. And he saw that we were worth it. And then if we're going through life living with a stale heart, a hardened heart, a heart that's not softened to, man, to, his, to his mission in our life, to his vision for our life, then we're missing something. And so what does that look like, church, this week? What does that look like today? What does that look like tomorrow to simply lean into in, more into who Jesus is, to soak more in who he is, to be ready more for what he has in store for us? Does it look like cracking open our Bibles and actually diving in with routine and not just every once in a while on a couple of holidays throughout the year? Does it look like spending time in prayer and maybe just listening to what God has? Speaking to God, telling him about our day. Man, there's things that we can be doing every single day that sits, that sits in us in a way that we soak up Jesus and we're able to just show him more to the world around us. And what does that vibrant faith look like for you today? And so church, I wanna leave you with this. I wanna go to the book of Proverbs because again, James pulled from Jesus in the book of Proverbs. And I think this is so key to what we've been talking about this morning. It's Proverbs 27, verse 19, and it says this. I'll leave you with this. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do. Action. For everything you do, not just everything you say, but everything you do. Everything you show to the world around you, every, every action step you take flows from it. 
And so church, I think we do. I think we have an opportunity each and every single day to guard our hearts, lean into Jesus, and show him to the world around us in a way that maybe has kingdom impact. Maybe he has an impact on somebody who would be turned off by the church and by Christianity and by faith. Maybe he has an impact on them that changes their posture of their heart. And so I'm encouraged, church, this morning to continue to do that in faith and trust in who Jesus is. Let me pray for us, and we'll continue to worship here together. Father God, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to soak in who you are. God, to take your words and to apply them to my life in a new way. God, may this be a day that we, that we sit in here and we make a decision in our hearts to take you even more seriously than we already have. God, maybe some of us are sitting here and we've taken you the most seriously about, uh, uh, the most seriously of anything in our lives. And yet, God, each and every single one of us can sit here and admit that we can take you even more seriously, that we can take our faith even more seriously. God, that we can pour more into our relationship with you. And through that, God, we are forever changed and impacted by it. And so, God, maybe that's us this morning, or maybe we're sitting in here and we go, man, I, I know that I believe, and yet I've never really followed through on the words that I say. God, would you continue to impact our hearts this morning, today, in a way that says, you know what? I'm going to take a step of faith today in trusting that you're going to do something impactful and miraculous with it. God, that you're going to continue to change me and stretch me and grow me in new and powerful ways. God, I pray that over us this morning. We lean into who you are, worship and praise your name and be grateful, God, for your presence in our lives. I pray this morning that we would just choose to be present back. We do that as we praise you and worship you in the name of Jesus this morning. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide.